Good morning. Thanks for gathering with us. Let's all stand and praise the Lord this morning. Ready? One more time.
All right, how many of you all believe that today, that he is greater? Amen. amen, amen. Not only is he greater, but he's also better. And it doesn't matter what life throws our way. It doesn't matter what kind of struggles that happen. Jesus is always better. And we believe that he sits on the throne, he has full authority, and he's going to take good care of us. We just have to believe and trust in him, all right? It's good to see you all today. Thank you so much for being at Kavanaugh Church. Thank you for showing up. God gave us a beautiful day today, and uh, I hope you came prepared to be able to worship and learn and grow with one another. If you're a first-time guest, thank you so much for being here with us today. There's a little Connect card in the chair back in front of you. If you could fill that out, and then right after service, you can take it out these back doors, and uh, we have a little gift for you, and we'll be able to tell you all about our church. But we're excited to see you all today. So I'm going to invite you all to stand right back up. I'm making this quick today because Brother Jason, man, he's, got, he's on fire. He's ready to go. So I want to make sure he has plenty of time. All right, let's pray. Lord, I love you. Thank you again so much for being with us today, God. Um, thank you for bringing us all back together. It's good to be here in this place, God. I pray that our hearts are open and receptive to you, to you today. Um, there's a lot of cool things that we're going to learn today and we're, uh, that you want us to know. And help us to be able to uh, be equipped to know why we believe what we believe, why you did what you did. Um, and help us to be able to be able to take that message of the resurrection and speak clearly into the lives of our friends and family because they desperately need it. They desperately need to know what you did so that they can live. We love you. Again, be with Brother Jason as he brings the message today. In your name, amen. Greet those around you. We'll get started in a few seconds.
come to you today. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would just flow through this place and that it would move and that you would have your way because we know, God, that you're still changing lives. We know, God, that you're still saving lives. We know, God, that you can heal the sick. And we know that there are some in our church this morning that need a special touch of healing. And I pray, God, that you would move through those that may have hardened hearts or that are burdened with other things of this life, with finances, with relationships. And God, I pray that they're not struggling with the relationship between themselves and you. And if they are, God, I pray that they would come today and that they would make it right and that your spirit would move upon us all, God, to look inward so that we can start a revival in our own world and in our own place and in our own lives. And I'm so thankful, God, for the blessings that you've put upon me and upon my family. And I'm so thankful for this church. And I pray, God, that right now that you would move through Brother Jason as he brings the word. And again, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray that your spirit would flow through and that they would come to you and that you would change their lives and they would make you the Lord of their life before it's everlasting too late. And it's in your sweet spirit and in your name, Jesus, that I pray these things. Amen. making all the noise here, huh? Great job to our praise team. Maybe that is me. Yikes. Great job to our praise team. Give them a big hand while I adjust my mic. Okay, let's try that. Maybe I had a bad connection. How we doing? Hey, do y'all know anybody that can take a licking and keep on ticking? Huh? Well, I'll tell you a story. So I shared this a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night. But y'all are scattered on Wednesday. A lot of y'all are doing things throughout the church. So you didn't all get to hear this story. So I'm going to share it with you. So if you can look on this row right here, you can see our crew. Our crew's growing, you know. There's these girls coming around, hanging around now. We love it. Joy, Joy loves it, don't you, Joy? So we, we took the whole crew on a, on a big trip. And so I rented, Joy and I rented a 15-passenger van. Okay, I felt like I was a youth pastor again, Brother Nathan. I felt like I was hauling teenagers around again. So we would pull up in this big van, and we, we had went to dinner one night, and we, we, the, everybody wanted to go shopping. So we pulled up to this store, and it had a splash pad out front. Does anybody know what a splash pad is? Raise your hand if you know what a splash pad is. Okay, it's like kind of a, a water park on a small scale you know, little kids can go out there, it's got souped up sprinklers and you can run around and, you know, get wet and cool off when it's hot. So we pull up and Eli, he's so stoked because Eli's our oldest son. Uh, he's about to turn 22 in August. And Eli, he's our entertainer. Okay, David, he entertains the family. I mean, that's what he does. He's got the gift of entertainment. So he's like, hey, hey, mom, is this place free? And she's like, yeah, Eli, it's free. So literally I put the van in park Everybody jumps out to go into the store. Uh, I hadn't even put the van back in drive yet, and, and Eli's running laps in the splash pad, okay? And it's dark, it's at night. He's running laps in the splash pad, and all of a sudden, I look over and I see Paige and Matthew like dying laughing and kind of running backwards. I'm like, uh-oh, Eli went down, Eli went down. 
So I look up and I see Eli and he's soaking wet and he's kind of coming out of the splash pad, you know, and he's trying to shake it off. But all of a sudden Eli goes down and Eli doesn't go down. You don't see Eli go down. So he goes to the ground and Joy, Joy and Kylie hear him say, I'm not okay. So, all right, so this is where the video picks up. I don't know if you can hear the volume. Maybe you can hear the family's comments, but check it out. Okay, so you see those four pipes right there? All right, these four pipes, they, you, you, you know, you can run through them. You see the water coming through them? Well, the first pipe, it's like this tall, okay? But the next pipe is like this tall. And the next pipe's like this, and the next one's like this. But in the dark, in the shadows, you can't tell that. So Eli, man, he's running full speed. He's going to go through the arches. He's going to get soaked. He ducks the first one. He ducks the second one. He clears the third one. Quam on the fourth one. Boom. Eli's down. Heads busted open. So you can't really hear the comments, but you hear Jude going, dude, how do you die on a splash pad? You know? <laughs> and, then, and then you see Isaac and Macy, and they're just kind of looking, and Isaac's got this look like, Isaac, I've seen that look from you before, looking at Eli when y'all were kids growing up, like, dude, how'd you do that, man? You know? And then Kyle's like, uh, it's pretty bad, Eli. He's like, I'm fine. I'm invincible. All right? Eli's, that's Eli's quote. I'm invincible. Well, Kyla looked at the big old gash on his head. So he's like, mm-mm, nope, you're going, to, you're going to get stitches. You're going to the ER. So that's the great thing about now, Joy, we got Kyla, so she can tell Eli, you're, you're going to ER. So he goes, he gets staples, and man, I mean, this dude, he's, he's hurt. I mean, he's probably got a slight concussion. He's got this huge knot in his shoulder. He raised his shoulder up, big old uh, swollen place. You know, so the next day, man, Eli's kind of chilling. But as we're on the way to ER, he's like, I'm going to work out, and I'm, going, I'm swimming in the ocean. It's not stopping me. Wasn't going to hold you back, was it, Eli? So he gets to the doctor, and he's like, yeah, you're okay, man. You can do whatever you want, no restrictions. So two days later, Eli's back in the water and back in the gym. He's repping out 255 pounds like it was nothing. I'm like, I, I can't do that one time. How's he doing that? Nothing. Eli, you took a licking and kept on ticking. All right. You know who else can do that? You know how, who else can take a licking and keep on ticking? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to be talking about the resurrection. You can't keep Jesus down. I'm going to continue a, a series I started a couple weeks ago, shared with you guys on a Sunday morning, and it's from a book by Dr. Jeremiah Johnston entitled Body of Proof. Now, don't confuse Dr. Jeremiah Johnston with this guy on the screen. Woo! Who knows who that is? That's Jeremiah Johnston, all right? Greatest mountain man movie of all time. But they're different people, just in case you're wondering, different people. Dr. Jeremiah Johnston, he writes a book, Body Approved, Seven Reasons to Believe in the Resurrection. A few weeks ago, I shared with you the first three reasons. I'll, I'll review, I'm not going to review them, but I'll just, I'll share what those reasons were. Number one, society is transformed everywhere Christianity is embraced. Number two, Jesus called it. Hashtag on the third day. He called his resurrection. Number three, Jesus demonstrated resurrection power. He could raise the dead. Today I'm going to be sharing with you reasons four through six to believe in the resurrection. Reason number four, there's no motivation for the disciples to invent a resurrection story. 
No motivation to invent Jesus' resurrection. Let's read Matthew 16, 21 through 23, which will give us some insight on this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Let's pray. God, we love you. Today, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit truly move and speak in hearts. Lord, if you're not here, then these are just words. But today we ask that your living word will come alive in our lives. And as I speak on the outside, Lord, I pray that the congregation will hear from you, not from me, Lord, that they'll hear you and your Holy Spirit will work in their life as we talk about the resurrection. And Lord, we ask you to change lives as only you can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is interesting. Uh, Jesus is trying to tell the disciples, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried in a tomb. But on the third day, I'm coming back. Okay, he tried to tell them this. They didn't get it. The Jews didn't understand this about Jesus. Their, their minds were covered concerning this. Now for us, we have the advantage to, to know how the story goes and how it unfolds. So we're like, well, how could they miss it? Well, guys, they didn't grasp it. They were looking for a Messiah to be their leader, not to die. So they, they didn't understand this. So Peter, who's the spokesman for the group, he's the representative for the disciples. So he immediately begins to tell Jesus, no, Lord, this isn't going to happen to you. You're not going to die. You're going to live forever. You're going to establish your earthly kingdom. You're going to overthrow the Romans. You're going you're to get these false religious leaders uh, out of here. You're going to make things right. And so he was trying to, to get Jesus back on the right track in his mind. But what does Jesus do? He's harsh. He's brutal with him. He says, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. Jesus just called one of his followers Satan. Now, guys, that's... That's a harsh rebuke, wouldn't you say? That's a harsh rebuke. Why is Jesus so harsh with that? Because he wanted the disciples to understand he didn't come for earthly gain. He came for spiritual gain. He came to set men free and women free and kids free from their sins, to give us the hope of eternal life in heaven. That's why Jesus came, to bring us forgiveness, to bring us hope. The messianic kingdom was not what the Jews anticipated it to be. So Jesus is very harsh. He's very firm. And he goes on to tell Peter, listen, you're not even concerned about the things of God. You're just thinking from human concern. All right, so he rebukes him. Now, it's interesting. When we talk about the resurrection and we think about the disciples, when Jesus is trying to tell them that he's going to resurrect, guys, this is what I want you to grasp. They didn't even understand resurrection. It was not in their mind. It was not in their thinking that Jesus would die, let alone resurrect. They didn't even comprehend that their Messiah would die and resurrect. Okay, so why would they make up a resurrection story if they didn't even believe that that would happen? Jesus tried to tell them that was going to happen. They didn't even believe him. They didn't even grasp it. Okay, their minds were veiled to that. So here's another thing. Why would the disciples need to make up a story about Jesus resurrecting 
when they had a religion, the, the Jewish religion, they believed that if you, had your, if you followed the law, you had faith in God, that your spirit would go to be with the Lord when you died. So they could have found peace in knowing that Jesus' spirit had went to the Father. So they didn't have to make up a resurrection story if it wasn't true. All right? So this is interesting. Why would they make up a new religion? Why would they rock the boat? Why would they turn things upside down? If they already had a religion, which they did, why would they have to make something new out of it if it wasn't real? Why would they risk that? Why would they go to all that trouble? So here's something to think about too. A, the Messiah in the Jewish people's minds was not required to, by Jewish tradition, was not required to, to be killed and resurrected. You didn't have to do that to be the Messiah in, in the Jewish tradition. See, they missed, they missed what God was trying to tell them in the Old Testament. He told that it was going to happen, but they didn't grasp it. But this was not a requirement in the Jewish people's minds. So for the disciples to make this up was completely unnecessary. All right, and I shared before, but during Jesus' time, we know there were at least 10 other people who claimed to be the Messiah. And when they died, guess what happened? Their movement stopped. You see, when you, when you are crucified, that's a shameful criminal's death. So if you're saying Jesus is the Messiah, but then he's convicted as a criminal and is crucified, that's shame. That's disgrace. So no longer should that person be considered to be your leader, to be your Messiah after having gone through that. But yet the Jews proclaim, or the, the apostles proclaim Jesus as the risen Messiah. Why? Because they experienced his resurrection. There's no other motive for them to say that Jesus rose from the grave. Otherwise, if they didn't believe that, if they hadn't experienced that, they wouldn't have created that story because the risk was too great for them. All right, here's another thing to think about. In Roman culture in this day, in first century, uh, in biblical times, the Roman culture was very opposed and the Roman philosophies were adamantly opposed to resurrection from the dead. They did not believe a body could be raised to life. So if you're going to start a new religion in a culture that's ran by the Romans, would it make any sense at all to say, Hey, the guy we're following rose from the grave. And when you say this, you're going to be persecuted and you're going to be put to death. Would that make sense? What would be their motivation to come up with this if it wasn't true? You see, critics try to say the resurrection didn't happen. Critics try to explain away Jesus. And there's all kinds of ways people try to explain away Jesus. And maybe today you're out here and you're not sure if you really believe in the resurrection or not. You're just kind of checking this thing out because you don't know. Hey, we all, have, we all go through times of doubt. That's human nature. All right, but listen, today we can know. We can look at God's Word. We can look at history and archaeology as we're going to look at in a minute. We can, we can experience the Holy Spirit as we saw on the screen today and sang about. We can experience God's movement in our lives and know that He's real. We can encounter Him. The disciples encountered him. So their motivation to say that the resurrection happened is because they experienced a resurrected Savior. And why did the church grow so rapidly after this? Because they experienced a resurrected Savior. Jesus changed everything. So application, what does this mean for you and me? Number one, have you embraced Jesus 
resurrection as life-changing for you? Is the resurrection of Jesus personal to you? Now, don't answer these out loud. Just think about this. Do you have God's concerns in mind or your own? As Jesus asked Peter. In other words, are we living for ourselves or are we living for Jesus? And listen, guys, it's a daily battle. It's a daily battle. It's a constant uh, battle, and, and we have to be vigilant every day to live for Jesus. We have to be focused and intentional, right? Because we're all human, and we're all pulled in many ways, and we're tempted. But we gotta, we got to focus on God and think about his concerns. So today, do you doubt or do you believe? Well, we've got to deal with the resurrection. We can't just ignore it. So today, what is your motivation to believe in a resurrected Jesus. All right, so maybe you're out here today saying, I already believe this, so you know, I don't need this sermon. Well, guess what? If you believe it, I'm thankful. If you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, amen. Praise the Lord, because now your sins are forgiven. You have eternal life in heaven. But guess what? You're going to encounter people each and every day who don't know Jesus as Savior. You're going to encounter people who don't believe in the resurrection. So we need to be equipped, as Brother Nathan prayed in his prayer this morning after his welcome, we need to be equipped to share the resurrection, to give reason to believe in Jesus. This isn't just made up. This is real. And we have to, we have to receive Jesus. If we're going to get eternal life in heaven and forgiveness of sins, guys, we have to believe that Jesus came and died for our sins. Every one of us, man, we're sinful. We've messed up. And sin's not going to get into heaven because heaven's a perfect place. So we have to have someone to take care of our sin because we can't do it on our own. We'll not, be, we'll not be forgiven of our sins by our own good works, only by God's grace, only by Jesus' blood covering our sins. So the disciples had, they had no motive to make up a resurrection story unless it was real because it was going to cost them their very lives. So they believed it. Reason number five, okay, Reason number five from the book Body of Proof is archaeology and history. Now, who's fired up about the new Indiana Jones movie that's coming out? Huh? I think we got a picture of old Indy. There he is. Look, he's still doing old Harrison Ford. Do you think he really looks like that in real life, or is that, is that photoshopped a little bit, maybe? Just maybe. Huh. Well, I'm so pumped about it. You know, y'all don't know this, but Joy has a birthday this week. She got a birthday this week. So we're going we're gonna to take her to see this for her birthday. Because Joy and I, we're Indiana Jones fans, okay? I don't know about the rest of y'all in here. First service, apparently, they don't like Indiana Jones, but I was fired up about it, okay? I'm super fired up about it. But what I always like about the movies is they portray Indiana Jones as this boring professor, right? He's giving these, these boring, stale lectures in a monotone voice, about the, 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 you know, history and archaeology. And you see people in his class and they're falling asleep, you know, it, it's funny. But then behind the scenes, he puts on his hat, his leather jacket, he gets his bullwhip, his pistol, and he goes on these crazy adventures all over the world, right? Rescuing precious artifacts from the hands of bad guys. And he, he preserves them, you know, so they can be enjoyed by future mankind. You know, he, he's, he lives in danger and excitement. Now, is archaeology always really like that? Man, probably not. You know, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Did y'all know that? When I was a kid, I wanted to dig for dinosaur bones. Doesn't that sound fun? 
Like, I thought that would be amazing is just to go and dig for dinosaur bones. I'm so glad that God called me into ministry and that I'm not out in the desert, you know, in 120 degrees sifting through sand all day. That, that's really nothing fun about that. You know, I don't know what I was thinking as a kid. Maybe I thought I was going to find a live dinosaur. I don't know. Listen, uh, when, when, we, uh, when we look at history and archaeology, guys, it's very, very important that we understand how it ties into the Bible. Now, when we want to study the Bible, we need to know what the culture was like. We need to know what the history was like. We need to know what was going on with the times. And that's where history and archaeology come in. Now, archaeology is really a relatively new practice. It's about 120 years old. So people go back in time or go back and try to dig up artifacts and findings that validify and certify that recorded things about the past are accurate. So as we look at archaeology, as we look at history, does it line up with the Bible? Yes, it does. That's the greatest thing. Did you know that no other religions other than Judaism and Christianity match up with history? There's no other religion that compares to the way that history and the Bible line up. They work together because the Bible is talking about real people, real places, real events, and it's backed up in history. It's backed up in archaeology. Now, there's some man-made false religions out there that talk about people and times and places that there's no record of. But the Bible is not like that. Guys, the Bible is accurate. It depicts real places, real things, and it's backed up. Another thing that we can take great confidence in are the amount of ancient copies of Scripture that we have. And I've shared this before, but it's worth saying again because it's it's so important. If you are a historian, the way that you validate if a document is accurate or how many ancient copies of that document do you have? Did you know there's no other literature in the world that has more ancient manuscripts than the Bible? Hands down, if you would put it in a stack, it would be 20 times taller than any other stack of ancient documents. So that means God's Word has been preserved over time, and there were people who, their job, they were scribes, and their job was to simply copy Scripture over and over and over, and they were meticulous to make sure that it was preserved because You know, in the first century, they didn't have a printer. They didn't have a cell phone. They didn't have a copy machine, so they had to do it by hand. Wouldn't that be tedious? You know, that would be be like digging for, you know, bones in the sand. Uh, It's a tedious job, but somebody had to do it, and I'm glad they did because it's been preserved. It's been handed down. Remember hearing about the Dead Sea Scrolls where these shepherds found ancient copies of God's Word that date back to the third century? We actually have manuscripts of God's Word, copies of God's Word that go back to the second century. That's amazing, guys. That's amazing. So you can be proud about that. Our Bible, it's inspired by God. God gave the Word to holy people, and they, they recorded it, they copied it as God gave it to them, and it's been preserved and passed down to us. So we can be thankful that God's Word is the truth. It's authentic. Authentic means that it has genuine similarity with other sources that depict the day and the times in which people live. So when we look at God's Word, when we look at history, God's Word matches up. It goes together. In other words, the things the Bible talks about are spot on with other historical documents about what it was like in Jesus' day. 
And when we say other historical documents, we're not just talking about people who believed in Jesus. We're talking about historians of the day who were very reputable. They were valid historians, but they weren't believers in Jesus. They weren't, some of the historians weren't even Jewish. But yet what they record lines up with what the Bible shares. I love that. So when we talk about archaeology, when we talk about history in light of the resurrection, we're going to look at two proclamations of the New Testament, two proclamations of God's Word. And that is, number one, that there was a resurrection appearance of Jesus. And in fact, there were many. And then number two, we're going to look at the empty tomb. How does this line up with archaeology and history? Well, let's look at Mark 15, 42 through 47. We're going to look at the tomb. Okay, this is important. It was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Now Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now listen, there's all kinds of theories out there that try to explain away the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the theories is, well, he wasn't really buried in a tomb. The reason, the reason that there was no body, the reason that, that they couldn't find a dead body of Jesus after the resurrection is because he was just thrown in a ditch and dogs, dogs carried his body away. They tried to explain away. The resurrection really never happened. They tried to explain why there's an empty tomb. Well, he wasn't really buried in a tomb. That's what, that's what some critics would say. Well, how does that line up with the history of biblical times? Well, not only history, but I'm going to tell you what the law was in biblical times. The law said this. If the Sanhedrin, who was the Jewish council... If they condemned a person to death, they were responsible and obligated to bury that body. It was their duty. So we see in Scripture that the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, they condemned Jesus to death. They weren't allowed to actually kill him, so they had to present him to the Romans. And the Romans signed off on it. The Romans carried out the execution. But then it came back on the Jewish council to take care of the body. Also, we note that he was buried or he was killed on Friday. So the body, by law, would not be allowed to hang on the cross during the Sabbath or Shabbat. That's Jewish law. That's, that's law of the day. So, number one, Jesus was condemned to death and hung on the cross. History records that. The law said this body had to be buried by the Jewish council, by the Sanhedrin. So the scripture I just read to you corroborates, can't say that word, with history in that they followed the law. Who was Joseph of Arimathea? He was a member of the Sanhedrin Council. So he was responsible, he was one of the members responsible to take care of burying Jesus' body. Now, he did go out on a limb. He went a little extra for Jesus because he was a believer in Jesus, even though he was part of the Sanhedrin, he and Nicodemus... They were part of the Jewish council, but they had become believers in Jesus. 
and it was kind of in secret, but now that Jesus is dead, they're becoming a little bolder. So he goes out on a limb and he asks Pilate for Jesus' body. And what he did is he buried him in his own tomb. You see, a criminal who was crucified, condemned to death, they had to be buried in a criminal's tomb. And it was considered a wretched place. There was no honor given to a crucified victim. There was no funeral. So you think about this, guys. For our Jesus, our Messiah, who, who lived this amazing life, he ministered to so many people. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He performed miracles. He embraced uh, all of mankind. He poured love out on mankind. And yet, when he died, it was a criminal death. And, and I never caught this until I was doing this study. Jesus' followers, his mother, his disciples, all of his followers, they didn't get to have a funeral for Jesus. There was no outward grieving even allowed by law because when a crucified victim was, was taken down, there could be no visual mourning over this victim because it was a dishonorable death. It was a wretched death. So Jesus' followers weren't even permitted to properly mourn and grieve or to have a memorial service and remember the great things about Jesus in public. They were not allowed to do that. This was shameful. Jesus died on Friday. He was taken down from the cross and he was put in a tomb. It was just like that, cut and dry. No grieving allowed. That's tragic. Jesus deserved better than that. He's our Savior. He gave everything for us. So here's old Joseph, and he sticks his neck out, and he says, look, Pilate, I know. I know that he, he needs to go to the tomb for criminals, the wretched place. But look, I've got a new tomb. This is mine. Can we bury him here? It's not an honorable death. It's not an honorable burial because it's a new tomb, so there's no honorable people buried here. So this is a neutral spot. So Pilate agrees to allow him to bury Jesus in a neutral spot. Okay, so it was a step up from the wretched place, but it still wasn't an honorable burial. Are you with me? And that's law. That, that falls right in line with the law and custom and culture of the day. So listen to Matthew 27, 57 through 60. This gives a little more insight from Matthew's perspective about Jesus' burial in the tomb. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked him for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. And then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. That was it. He put him in the tomb. They rolled the stone across the entrance and they left because it was Friday night and Shabbat was coming and there could be no mourning or funeral during that time. Now, this is really interesting. Jewish and Christian archaeologists alike, the study of archaeology, agree and confirm that Jesus' body was in fact buried in a tomb. This is, this is recorded as factual. And for the family, keeping track of earthly remains was one of the most important jobs that they had. So if you were a Jewish family and you lost a loved one, you were going to be very careful to make sure that the remains of that loved one were placed in your family tomb. 
But as I said, we got a problem because Jesus couldn't be placed in the family tomb. He couldn't have an honorable burial. But I shared this in my last sermon, but one year later, you're allowed to remove the bones of your loved one and put them in your family tomb, even if they were crucified, if they received a criminal's death. So you best believe the family knew exactly, and the loved ones and the friends of Jesus and the followers of Jesus knew exactly where they placed his body. Because they're already thinking, in one year, remember, they didn't expect the resurrection, so they're thinking, okay, a year from now, we're getting his bones, we're putting him in the family tomb. We're going to give him an honorable burial because he deserved it. Right, so that, that's history. But guess what, guys? History and archaeology also confirm something else. That on Sunday, the tomb was empty. When the women showed back up, because they were just hopeful that they might be able to anoint the body. They were hopeful that someone would roll the stone away and they could get in there and pay honor to Jesus. And they were just hoping that somehow somebody would let him in. But when they got there, what did they find out? The tomb was empty. The stone was rolled away. There was an angel sitting on it. And he told them, Jesus isn't here, but he's risen. Now, I want to talk about the stone for a minute, because this is so cool. In, in biblical times, two-thirds of the population were malnourished. People were poverty-stricken. They were poor. And so most tombs were just cut out of a rock, and it was just a little bitty small opening that you could just kind of crawl in to get your loved one into the tomb. And then they, they would seal that hole with, with a, a square or rectangular stone. They would just kind of chisel it out, and they would put that stone in the hole. So it was, like a, it was like a plug, and it just fit. And that was it. But if you were wealthy, and only wealthy people got to have a tomb that was bigger, that you could literally walk into, and they would be sealed by a round stone. And that round stone would often have a track so that you could roll the stone over the opening, but then with the help of other people, you could roll the stone back to go and mourn for that loved one. Because in Jewish culture, they would actually go into a tomb and they would sit with the, with the corpse. So that's why it was important to anoint the body with spices so the body wouldn't stink because it was custom to mourn with the corpse for one week. And did you know that archaeologists have found that as they've explored some of these tombs that they notice there's places carved out in the tomb floor that's deeper than the rest of the floor. And that's because in Jewish day, when they, would, when they would stay in the tomb, they would stand because Jews often stood and they would lift their hands to heaven and they would pray and, and they would worship the Lord in that tomb. So the, the floor was actually carved out so they could stand upright. But if you, were, if you were wealthy, you could afford a tomb with a big stone that you could literally walk into. So what did the word tell us about Joseph that I just read? He was very wealthy. And what kind of tomb did he have that was made for him? A tomb that had a round stone that you could walk into. So again, guys, that's just historical facts backed up by Scripture. And I love it when it all ties together like that. So only rich families had these round stones to seal the tomb. So the tomb was empty. History and archaeology, they validate it. And then Jesus, and it's documented, he appeared to hundreds of people after his death and after his resurrection. He appeared to them. So what do these facts mean to you? Either Jesus faked his death and pulled off the greatest hoax of all time, or he truly resurrected. And the evidence lines up, guys, that there was no hoax. This is real. 
And reason number six, and this is my favorite reason, we're wrapping this up, but I call this from skeptic to believer. Now, how many of y'all in here are just natural skeptics at heart? Just raise your hand if your natural go-to is to be a skeptic, okay? Well, uh, we might just say realists, okay? How many realists do we have in that? You're just real, okay? And then how many optimists do we have in the house, okay? I'm an optimist. I'm always, uh, and it gets me in trouble, Joy, because I, I, I think I can get a lot more done than I can in a day's time and uh, over cram. But I told y'all, you guys, about the, the bass boat that my parents got the boys, the $500 1982 Bass Tracker 3, and it was sweet. So we took it out in the maiden voyage, and it was me and Joy and Isaac and Macy. Y'all remember that? I showed you guys a video of Isaac driving with his feet. Did y'all remember that? Yeah, okay, it was impressive. But as we were out there, you know what we found? This is awesome. We went to this new spot, and we found this place that was like shallow with rocks on the bottom, and you could see it was real clear. And guess what it was full of? Fish. It was full of fish. I was so excited because it was loaded with fish. Now, not like fish like the Bass Club goes after, but like fish that the Nichols boys like to go after, like buffalo and carp and gar. You know, we call them trash fish. So... We love, tra- we love, Scott, we love bow fishing. We shoot them with our bows. I've told you guys about this. It's amazing. We should start a Kavanaugh bow fishing club. I mean, it's, it's the greatest fun that you can have this side of heaven. I'm telling you, it's amazing. So I go home, and I'm telling Jude, I'm telling Jude, Jude, we have found the spot. This place is loaded with fish. And Jude's like, huh, yeah, I don't think so, Dad. I think you're exaggerating that a little bit. All right. He's doubting me. Can y'all believe that? That Jude doubted our spot? He's like, nah. He's a skeptic. He's like, no. It can't be that good, Dad. There can't be that many fish. So guess what I did? I took him there. I took him bow fishing. And guess what happened? We got a picture of it behind me. Boom. Can y'all see that? Look at that. That looks like a dinosaur, doesn't it? How long was that guard, Jude? Was it like eight feet long? No, not quite that. But it was as tall as you or taller than you. So Jude shoots this with his bow. Guess what? Jude went from being a skeptic to a believer. He believes that now that this is the greatest bow fishing spot that we've ever found. Don't you, Jude? You believe it, bro. You believe it. Now, Eli and Kyla, they're not believing it yet. We took them there, and it was a, it was a strikeout, wasn't it? It, it was a dud. But, you know, we'll, hey, we're going to make a believer out of you yet. We're going back. We'll go back. We'll go back. Well, listen. When it comes to the resurrection, we see people that went from skeptic to believer. And two people I want to point out are very, uh, who were very opposed to Jesus were, number one, his brother, his own brother James. Look at Mark 3.21. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. This is when Jesus started his earthly ministry. His own family, guys, they wanted to lock him up. They said, he's crazy. And then John 7, 5, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. So Jesus' own family didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They didn't believe that he was sent by God. Now, James, who's one of his brothers, he went on to write uh, one of the books in the New Testament. But James was a skeptic. He was a critic until he encountered the risen, resurrected Jesus. And then he became a believer and a proclaimer that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, it cost him his very life. The Sanhedrin condemned him to death. He was stoned to death in about A.D. 65. So what would cause a man to go from 
my brother's crazy and needs to be locked up in the nut house to he's the risen Lord and Savior. He's the Messiah, and I will die for him. Now, what would, what would change him to go to that level of dedication? Was it real or fake? What was in it for him? Guys, he encountered a risen Lord. Now, let's talk about good old Saul of Tarsus. Saul, as you know, he persecuted Christians. He was a devout Pharisee. And when he heard about the Christian movement, when he heard about Jesus, Saul immediately, he got his guard up. You know why? Because Christianity is for all of mankind, Jew and Gentile, right? But Saul saw the Gentiles as unclean, and he felt that was a threat to the Jewish nation. So all of a sudden, here's this, here's this movement that started that's embracing non-Jews and saying they get to go to heaven too. So Saul's like, we're going to receive God's punishment. So he was adamant to stop the Christian movement. That's why he was so intense in persecuting the Christians. Saul didn't know Jesus while he walked on this earth, but guess what? Saul met the risen and resurrected Jesus because on his way to kill Christians, you know the story. He was blinded by the light. Jesus spoke to him. He encountered Jesus, and Jesus changed his life. And then you know what Paul went from saying? He went from saying Gentiles can't be part of God's people to saying this. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Salvation is available to all. What would cause him to be that extreme, to make such a 180? Because he encountered a real, risen, resurrected Savior. He went from skeptic to believer. Listen to the creed that he gave us. This is called the kerygma. Now remember, in biblical days, they didn't often they didn't have a Bible like we have that we can carry around or have on our phones. They had to, they had to come up with creeds and sayings until the scripture was recorded and written down. And so Paul, he came up with a creed. Now, Nero, he was, he was one of the most wicked and evil emperors of the Roman Empire in biblical times. He came to power in AD 54. All right? So Paul gave this creed to the Christians about the time Nero was in power because he knew they needed, they, they needed this encouragement because Christians were going to be persecuted and killed by Nero. And in fact, guess what? Peter and Paul were put to death under this man's reign. He had them executed for their faith in AD 65. But before his death, and, and when this evil emperor was ruling, Paul gave this creed to the early church. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. Now, Third Day has an awesome song called Creed. Ron, my favorite, that you guys sing, brother. And guess what? It's the Apostles' Creed. It's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. The entire message of the church centered around the resurrection of Jesus and the hope of eternal life. The power that united the disciples, that caused them to go from a bunch of frady cats hiding out to being bold proclaimers of God's word and dying for their faith is because they had encountered a risen Lord and Savior. Jesus turned the world upside down. So what does this mean to us, guys? In order to receive eternal life in heaven, we must believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. We must ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. We're not perfect, and we can't 
get our own sins forgiven by our own good works. So we've got to ask Jesus for help, and he will cleanse us of our sins. And when we commit our life to him, he indwells in us with his Holy Spirit. Jesus can change lives. Has Jesus changed your life? Have you went from skeptic to believer? Well, did you know that in more, more than two dozen times in the New Testament, we're given the promise of eternal life when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Why is that promise true? Because Jesus rose from the grave. He conquered the grave. We can see the evidence for it. So today, my question for you is, are you motivated to believe in Jesus? Are you motivated to have God's concerns for your life? Or are you living for yourself? Do you believe the resurrection of Jesus is real, that history and archaeology confirm? Has Jesus changed your life? Guys, you can know him today. You can encounter him today. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. No heads bowed, or no, no eyes open, all heads bowed, nobody looking around. I want you just to focus on God right now. And I'm not trying to manipulate you. This is real. But this is between you and God. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart today and you say, you know what? I do believe this. I do believe Jesus died and rose for me to give me forgiveness of my sins but I've never committed my life to him. I've never asked Jesus to come into my heart and to save me and to forgive me. I've never received the gift of eternal life. Guys, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, don't be afraid of him right now. Come and receive the greatest gift of all because eternal life in heaven is not automatic. It's free and available for all mankind. But you have to choose to believe and receive what Jesus did for you. So today you can come and admit your sins. Believe Jesus died for you and rose again, and you can confess him as your Lord. When you do that, guys, you're forgiven. You've got the greatest gift of all. So if you need to do that today, man, please come and come to the altar, and we'll join you, and we'll show you from God's word how you can know that you have the gift of eternal life. And we're not going to embarrass you. I promise you that. And for believers across the room, I'm asking you to come and pray for boldness. Pray for those who don't know Jesus Pray that you'll have boldness to share Jesus in the resurrection like never before. God, right now, as we have this invitation, as a song is about to be sang, I pray that you'll just move into our lives, move in our hearts. Speak, Lord, as only you can. Because right now is the most important, important part of this service. As individually, as each of us in this room, that we respond to you, that we deal with you, that we deal with the re resurrection. So if there's one person in here today that hasn't received you as a Savior, and right now they know that they need to, I pray that they'll come to the altar and pray and find the greatest gift of all, eternal life in heaven with you, with you, Lord. For believers across the room, may we be burdened to come and pray for those who don't know Jesus as Savior. May we be burdened to come and commit to sharing our faith in the resurrection like never before Lord we're just here for a little while and our job is to make you known to others help us to live it out Lord we ask us in Jesus name amen if you need to come and pray the altars are open
God, we love you. It's so good to be in your house. Lord, we thank you for being a risen Savior. Help us today to go out with our heads held high, knowing, Lord, that with you we win. And the best is yet to come. But while we're here, Lord, we're to make a big impact for your kingdom. So help us, Lord, to share hope and love in the gospel and the resurrection with those that you put in our path. We love you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a quick seat. I'm going to let you go. I promise you've endured. You've been an amazing audience. Thank you so much for being here, hanging in for this sermon, hanging with me. Uh, just a few announcements. This week on Thursdays are primetimer luncheon. So if you're a primetimer, man, come and join because it's going to be amazing food. If you're not a primetimer, you know, hey, come anyway, put on disguise. All right. Enjoy it. Okay. Uh, also, we've got our men's breakfast this coming Saturday. So guys, show up for that. Going to be some great food and fellowship. And then I understand that yesterday the church, we had uh, pickleball. Any, any pickleball people in the house? Anybody ever? Who's, who's played? Chris, have you not? You played pickleball? Is that like for a tennis pro? That's like, mm, no. No, I bet you'd be awesome at it, though. Well, hey, apparently we got some pickleball going. Matt Ortega's been, uh, he started that yesterday at the church. So it's going to continue going. So come and find out what pickleball is all about. I have a pickleball story that I'm going to save for another day. Or I may not save it, share it at all. I don't know because it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty tragic, pretty tragic. So that's for another time. Hey, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for being here. To our guests, man, we're glad you came. Please stop by our Connect Counter. It's right through these doors at the back of our sanctuary. Uh, we've got a gift for you. We want to meet you, answer questions you might have about the church. And then for our regular people, not our guests, just our members, uh, don't forget your tithe and offering on your way out in our offering boxes, okay? Have a great week, guys. You are dismissed.